Hello, I'm Dean Cantu, and I want to welcome you to this episode of the Future Insight Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure to uh, introduce to you our guest for today, uh, Dr. Melissa Cheese, who is the Department Chair of the Department of Academic Enrichment and Associate Professor of Reading and Mindfulness Practice at Bloomsburg University. Uh, welcome, Dr. Cheese. Thank you. Really appreciate you joining us here today. Uh, we always start with just a, a little bit of background that you can provide to our listeners about your professional journey that has uh, brought you to your current position at Bloomsburg University. Okay. Um, thank you for having me today. Um, I've been in higher ed um, in the administrative and teaching capacity for about 20 plus years. Um, prior to coming to BU, I was in New York at Hofstra University, um, where I was an administrator there and also an adjunct faculty member, um, and also at Nassau Community College. In both colleges, I worked with the underprepared student population, um, helping them strengthen their skills in both areas of reading and writing. Um, after leaving New York, I came to Bloomsburg and was blessed with the opportunity to continue working with the underprepared student population um, in an education opportunity program, um, which is referred to as Act 101 in Pennsylvania. And prior to my current role as a tenure track faculty member in the Department of Academic Enrichment, I was in an administrative role at Bloomsburg University for about um, nine or so years as the interim director and then again as the um, assistant director. And as an administrator in the department, I had the pleasure of serving the university's most vulnerable population. Again, that um, the first generation students who were underprepared um, and needed that additional support um, to help them make a successful transition. And so throughout my professional career, my experiences with the, um, the underprepared student population and um, at Promise students, um, their unique learners, learning styles, and um, as well as an awareness of the challenges that they face helped me develop um, into the compassionate and inclusive educator that I am today. Um, and I wanted to be a change agent um, that promotes retention, fosters learning, all in a supportive environment where all experiences are validated. Um, and that's something that's very important to me. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. Could you talk a little bit about the Department of a Academic Enrichment at, at BU and, and some of the services and programs that you offer to students? Okay. Um, the Department of Academic Enrichment at BU is very unique or structured in a very unique way. Um, we are a service department um, which falls under the Division of Student Success and Enrollment Services at our institution and supports both underprepared, prepared students um, that are mostly undeclared and also first generation. Uh, the department is comprised of a total of about seven areas, including eight full-time faculty, um, as well as uh, academic advisement, um, the Office of Access and Success, which um, what falls under that area is our Education Opportunity Program, our Board of Governors Scholars Program, 
um, the Office of Diversity and Retention and Emerging Scholars. Then we have a Center for Student Success and First Year Experience. Um, we have TRIO Student Support Services, TRIO Upward Bound, and University Tutorial Services. So we are a service department comprised of all of those areas. And thankfully, even though we're located in different offices within the same building, um, we do not operate in silos. We all work collaboratively to meet the needs of the most vulnerable population at BU. Absolutely. I'm so pleased to hear you say too about not operating in silos, but working in collaboration with one mm -hmm. another to achieve mm -hmm. the same goals. Yes. That's great. Um, talk a little bit too. I was intrigued by uh, your, uh, uh, there's a course that you teach, The Art of Possibility and Mindfulness Practice. Could you speak a little bit about that, please? Yes. For me, um, that's been an exciting opportunity um, because for years I've practiced yoga and meditation um, in my personal life. So when I got the opportunity to teach this course, I was ecstatic. This is like one of my favorite courses. Um, but in this class, uh, what I try to do is introduce the mind as a limit and a possibility, right, um, to students, right? And I try to help them understand that they can be in control um, of whether or not they get stressed out, experience anxiety and get overwhelmed um, and fall into that stuck or depressed state, um, but if they learn how to use their mind as a possibility and recognize when they are experiencing these overwhelming thoughts or feelings um, and learn how to use the tools of mindfulness, um, they can um, be successful and not get stressed out and overwhelmed to the point where they're not able to be productive. Right? And I always tell them, I said, even though I practice mindfulness on a regular basis, that doesn't mean that I don't get overwhelmed at times, right? I can just, I can recognize when I get overwhelmed and I know what to do to bring myself back down or grounded and focus and being present. Right, right. Excellent. And, and, and your research, a lot of your research focuses on student success, uh, as, as does your, your, your administrative position. Uh, you know, looking at, as you said before, creating, you know, a supportive environment, looking at mm -hmm. retention, uh, looking at, uh, you know, at student persistence. Um, talk a little bit about it. Help our listeners give us a little bit of insight, if you will, about what what led you to uh, to choose that as a professional area of, mm. uh, of interest relative both to your current administrative position, but also as a, as a teacher scholar? Um, I would have to say, um, as an undergraduate, when I was an undergraduate, um, I attended a predominantly white institution and, um, as a person of color at a predominantly white institution who was also first generation, um, I wasn't eligible for, um, the services that I offer my students today, um, because I didn't fall in that income bracket. Right. Um, my parents' income didn't fall in that income bracket. And so I would always, um, I had friends, though, on campus who did. Right. And so I was intrigued by the services that they received, um, where I had to develop my sense of belonging on my campus um, with my group of friends. Um, they created a sense of belonging for them 
from the summer before their freshman year, you know, um, and that cohort just traveled through, you know, their educational journey together. Um, I kind of tagged along, right, because I was friends with some of the students that were in the program. And so they kind of just welcomed me as part of the family, even though I couldn't receive most of the services that they offered. I I still received some sort of mentoring. And I said, wow, this is amazing what you do. I would love to do that um, for all students. Right. Right. You know, and so that that's really what started my journey um, to focus on retention, um, persistence, um, completion rates for all students and, and help them all make a successful transition by creating this sense of belonging for them and helping them navigate college. Right. That was that's something I picked up on what you were talking about. There, there are some of these critical variables, if you will, that that are necessary, uh, are essential, really, uh, for students. And one of those, as you said, is that sense of belonging, that yes. sense of community that we establish mm-hmm. uh, in schools that helps with student retention. Uh, it, it certainly, uh, it's, it's, it plays just a critical role there. One of your, one of your um, uh, uh, paper presentations focused on mentorship and and uh, it, it talked about mentorship and the guidance that can help lead to uh, personal growth and, and professional success could you talk a little bit about uh, about that that role of mentorship in particular mm-hmm. that that critical variable in helping uh, to achieve student success okay um I believe all of the schools that I've worked in um, were predominantly white institutions. So um, I was definitely viewed as a role model for for all students, but especially students of color. Um, Female students of color in particular gravitated uh, toward me to the point where I was kind of seen as a surrogate mother. Um, and I, um, I also have another paper that I'm working on right now called Other Mothering, you know. And so that's what I was viewed as for them, like their older sister, their mom. Um, and I, I was a mentor for, for many of them. And I still am today. Um, and for them, it was um, just having the opportunity to see somebody that looks like them, who is educated and successful um, and still reaching back and trying to help others. Um, To me, it was something that I just do naturally um, without even thinking about it. Um, And I don't just do it or share that experience with the women, the young women of color. I do it with the young men of color. I do it with all students. Um, It's just, it just, it's natural for me to do that. Um, And then students just gravitate toward me. I think students can really sense when you are genuine, you know, when you want to help them, when you want um, to see them be successful. I think they can really sense that. And when they sense that, then they're, they're willing to open up. Um, they're, they're willing to um, stop by your office any time of the day, you know, reach right. out with an email, phone call, Zoom meeting. I have, you know, now we're in this Zoom um, uh, whole environment. And so I have most times my Zoom room open, but I lo- not lock it. I uh, put the doorbell on so you can hear when students pop in. Right. My students will pop in at any time. It's not office hours, right? (laughs) But I, um, when I was on campus, my door was always open, and that's what they're used to. You know, I have an open door policy for all students. 
Um, and I just try to be a positive role model um, in all that I do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one of the things as you were talking about it, it's that one of the, the terms that sort of came to mind is that is, is being genuine, that genuineness, mm-hmm. that, that, that truly that authentic, caring, you know, uh, okay. you know, uh, approach that you take students can, they will seek that out. You're exactly yes. right. And they will vet, they'll go through a vetting process on who is really being genuine and, right. and, and who is sort of has this facade, but it may not necessarily, you know, ring true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I think another thing that's helped me too is my daughter um, is a millennial, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was the age of many of my students, right? Um, and in your, your children, they keep you on your toes, yeah. right? Um, and so many of the relationships that I built with my students um, stemmed from things that my daughter taught me, right? About um, social media, uh, technology. And I'd bring those things to the classroom, like, and, and they would be wowed by the fact that I knew it because I'm so old. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, but guys, remember, I, I know this because my daughter is your age. And they would be wowed by that also, you know? So then that was another way for me to connect to them. Um, I'm not your age, but I do have a child who is your age. Um, so just seeing that I'm a mother and that I care, you know, that I think that opened the door as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I know that's made a difference in how I uh, approach my students as well. You look at it through the lens of, of the role that we play as parents. Right. Yeah, right. absolutely. Um, another one, I was intrigued by another one of your publications. Uh, and, and it was, it, you talk about addressing uh, what you call misperceptions of underprepared mm-hmm. students. Could you speak to some of those misperceptions uh, that you address in, in that uh, particular publication? Mm-hmm. Um, so for us at BU, the underprepared population is um, the majority of that population are students of color. Um, so some perceptions um, is their lack of ability, right, um, in terms of preparedness in writing or math um, and thinking that they're not prepared to be at the university level. Maybe they should attend community college first before coming here, um, they're just their lack of knowing um, how to navigate college. Um, but it's not their fault, right? They're first generation, right? And so they need that additional support. So just raising that awareness with faculty um, about how to interact with those students in class or how to make um, the environment in your classroom more inclusive. Um, using culturally relevant um, pedagogy uh, and text to help those students make those meaningful connections. Um, Understanding that some of those students have responsibilities at home, taking care of other siblings. And um, so even though they might be traditional age, they've been given the responsibilities of um, a non-traditional age student, right? Um, And so they might struggle with um, juggling class time, work, family. Um, So just understanding the challenges that they could possibly be facing and just being willing to be flexible um, and create other ways for them to accomplish their task and be successful in the course. Have you seen during your time at at BU, have you seen uh, 
any changes relative to uh, a, a greater acknowledgement or recognition of, of the importance of what uh, your department is doing uh, and the importance of the programs and the services that you're providing or the, the professional development that you provide to faculty? Have you, have you seen uh, on the landscape any any sort of changes over the past uh, period of time that we we've experienced, you know, uh, you know, it, it seems like, you know, we, we have the shared experience that we've had as, as a society uh, over the last uh, year or two. Um, has that made any impact or difference on, on what you, what you've seen in, in, in your role? I think so. We have a president's commission on diversity, equity, inclusion now um, that has, been amazing in bringing different training sessions um, to the forefront. Um, and one of them is our training session on microaggressions. Um, and then our uh, Center for First Year Experience, um, that's where we did our first generation and underprepared student training session to the forefront. Um, so I, I definitely believe um, that our administration it has been very supportive um, and it comes from the top down. So I think that because we have that support of the administration and we're able to bring it to not just the faculty, but to the staff and to the students, um, I think we're moving in the right direction, thankfully. Right. Excellent. Excellent. There was, there was another um, uh, article that you did, a uh, publication that you did. It was entitled Analytics and Best Practices on Student Success uh, Collaborative. If you could talk a little bit about uh, both of those things, actually, you know, the, sort of the best practices that you have you've seen, uh, in, in, you know, in your experiences uh, focused on student success, and also, you know, some of the uh, the analytics now that we have available uh, that uh, can help guide uh, what we do uh, in terms of the execution of our duties and responsibilities in helping our students to be successful and helping the retention effort. Uh, uh, um, if you could kind of address both of those uh, best practices in analytics, please. Okay. Um, I guess I would say, I guess start out by saying um, we use a number of uh, academic advising tools software programs um, and in hindsight it, it was very frustrating for for faculty because as soon as you got used to something something else was put into place right but um, the the tool was designed and I was on the um, the the team um, that helped to pilot the tool so I was behind the scenes but I was also it was good that I was faculty because I could share the frustrations of the faculty with the team, you know, um, and the tool in hind, it was a good tool because it was designed to be an early alert system. Right. So for students who fall to the wayside um, or for students who are failing or struggling, um, it, if you use the tool, Right. If everybody used the tool like it was supposed to be used, it would raise these flags for us. Right. We'd be able to tap into where those students are, get them back to where they need to be to help them be successful. But um, it wasn't being used by everyone. And so I think that's the reason why it, it wasn't successful. We have a new advising tool now um, that we call Husky Success. I think it falls under the Student Success Collaborative. Um, and it it is working well. Um, again, I, I believe that um, 
once more faculty use the tool, um, we'll be better off in terms of serving students. Those who use the tool on a regular basis are our like success specialists, um, our academic advisors of undeclared students. Um, some faculty are definitely using the tool. Um, so it, it's definitely a very promising tool if used appropriately. Um, I think we can definitely tap into those students who um, we would probably lose if we didn't have the system and be able to reach out to them. Great, great. We've talked a lot uh, about your, your research and different areas that you focus on in your, in your role uh, at BU. Um, are there other things that you would like to share with our listeners uh, that you think would, would help them in terms of uh, their efforts to, uh, uh, to help on their respective campuses, for example, with student success, student retention, um, uh, that uh, come from the insight that you've gained? Um, definitely, uh, as a department, um, and trying to help make students make a successful transition to college, um, we provide intrusive advising and mentoring with a significant amount of outreach throughout a given semester, right? Whether it's emails, phone calls, Zoom meetings, um, outreach is important, um, in terms of student success and retention, um, so I would definitely encourage them to do that. Um, something else we've done is we've worked on redesigning our developmental education curriculum. Uh, for the past few years, we've been working on um, redesigning the courses, which consisted of um, courses that were non-credit bearing, but were in the GPA calculation for students. Um, and the research showed that Courses structured in that manner were barriers to students. Um, so even though we loved teaching those courses, right, and we felt like we were supporting our students, it was preventing them from progressing and moving forward onto their mainstream courses in a timely fashion. So we had to do something. We had to redesign the curriculum. And so we restructured our developmental courses in reading and writing to the point where we no longer offered developmental reading and writing courses, we offered a credit-bearing course with more rigor. Um, and with our math, we offered a two-sequence level developmental math course courses, which are no longer going to be offered after this semester, and we're moving toward the co-requisite support model. So this will allow our students to um, our incoming freshmen, for instance, when they come in, they won't be required to take any developmental courses. They'll be able to immediately go into their foundational courses. And if they need that additional support, we have a support course or that co-requisite course to help them um, as they move through their foundational course. Um, so we've only been able to do those things um, by building these cross-campus relationships um, to promote student success. Um, so building cross-campus relationships is another thing that's very important. Um, I've been working with a colleague of mine in my department to, to share teaching strategies and professional development opportunities um, that provide ways to better support underprepared students. Um, I would encourage that also. Um, our initiatives support uh, student retention, um, helping students build confidence, and also inclusion. So by building the relationships across campus, we help transform these negative perceptions about 
underprepared students and their learning potential. And then students feel like they belong and they feel supported and then they can thrive. Um, there's so many other initiatives that um, uh, I have participated in along with other colleagues. Um, but if you just work together um, and not operate in silos, right. I think that's step number one. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's that it's that like you said, it's that cross campus kind of collaboration and uh -huh. that, that that shared, uh, you know, uh, objective and, and set of goals that you have that, that you all strive for. Uh, uh -huh. That's that's outstanding. Uh, well, again, uh, thank you, Dr. Cheese, for joining us uh, for this episode of the uh, Future Insight podcast uh, uh -huh. and listeners. Until next time, stay well and take care.